Thank you, Pastor. As we continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to the Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Let us receive together the Word of God. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. What a special gift it is to have received that beautiful piece of music that was sung as we celebrated All Saints Sunday. I'm especially mindful of that on this day when we give thanks for the life of our brother, Leo, who has died today. And I've also been mindful throughout these special services these last weeks, during this Holy Week, 
to see in the music videos that have been the recordings that we've shared as part of our worship experience, to see the face of our brother, John Harden, who said to me during his last week that one of the things he was going to miss the most was participating in all of the events and services and energies of Holy Week. I'm glad that he's celebrating with us and helping us celebrate well this year. Before we pray and move into a time of reflection on our story, I want to share with you some amazing news about your generosity. Every year we lift a Lenten appeal, and this year we pivoted to focus on critical needs in our local community in response to the COVID-19 crisis. We set a goal of $30,000, and we're planning to distribute that to um, social justice needs, and specifically in our local community to Miriam's Kitchen, Pathways to Housing, Bread for the City, and Foundry's Own Greatest Needs uh, Fund. As of today, we have received from you $41,146. We're so grateful for your outpouring of support and generosity. I want to let you know that 23000 of that has already been distributed toward those things that we have uh, said we were going to be supporting. And we're so grateful for your continued generosity. Today is the day that we will bring this appeal to a close. We know that the needs continue to be great. We appreciate your generosity. If you can share a gift towards this appeal today, we thank you. Will you pray with me? Loving God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help me to preach the gospel today. And that by the power of your spirit, you would open hearts and minds to receive it. In the name of the risen Christ, I pray. Amen. I don't know what I expected. It was my first trip to the Holy Land in January of this year. And I'd seen pictures, I'd heard other people's stories about what things were like there. But I didn't really know what things would be like. I've, of course, seen artistic renditions of all of the famous holy places. The Jordan River, Jacob's Well, the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, Sea of Galilee, Calvary. Jesus too. So I guess I sort of had all sorts of ideas floating around in my interior image files. But somehow it never really consciously occurred to me that these places are really no longer what they once were. And that may sound ridiculous. I, I know I should have known better, but I think some part of me still imagined that that pilgrimage to the place where the first Easter happened would mean walking into an ancient Jewish cemetery, to a traditional cave tomb, in a garden space outside the city walls of Jerusalem. But as many of you will know, and I have now learned, what you find instead is that the stone slab where, according to archaeologists and historians, it is highly likely 
that Jesus' body was laid, that original stone slab is now encased in several layers of marble, which is itself found in the now highly decorated original cave tomb, over which is built an intricate shrine called an edicule, which itself is encased in the ginormous church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is found within the walls of an expanded city of Jerusalem. Something that was so basic, so simple, so small, is now something ornate and big and complicated. Now, I understand why some of this is so. Precious moments, precious places are important to return to and to remember, to celebrate, to adorn. We humans raise our Ebenezers. We set up our monuments, our remembrance stones. At all sorts of places that mark thin places in our experience, those turning points and spaces where we crossed over into new life. What we should know by now is how easy it is to make idols of our monuments. How easy it is to get wrapped up with guarding the thing or the place or the memory as we picture it to the point that we may begin to believe that we're actually in control of all of it, that we know how things should be and how things should be done. Something that began as a beautiful and life-giving thing can so easily sprout division and exclusion, judgment, and even hatred. The place where Jesus laid in the tomb for three days, the place of Jesus and Mary's encounter, is now guarded by a certain brotherhood of Greek Orthodox priests. And the church that surrounds the tomb is tenuously controlled by three major Christian denominations whose shared history has its high points, but has been marked by conflict and division. And what else would we expect to find if we're being honest? I mean, that's our history, that's our world. This is the way things are, conflict, division. But we cannot, can we or can we? Should we not expect something different? What would we want to find at the place where Easter happens? Whom are you looking for? Perhaps we yearn to find someone or something that will mend the torn fabric of human mutuality and cooperation in our world. Perhaps we yearn to find something or someone who will release our hearts and our communities from the bonds of fear and greed and prejudice. Perhaps we 
yearn to find something or someone who can restore our own capacity for trust and a deep commitment as a people to the common good instead of a good that always favors the privileged and the wealthy. Perhaps we yearn to receive the capacity to believe that things in the world really can change, <laughs> that the much lauded arc of the moral universe will at some point really bend toward justice. Perhaps we yearn to discover at the place of Easter one who offers what we need to fill the empty places within our own souls and what we need to be able to dwell in the empty rooms we inhabit these days without sliding into unhealthy ways. Perhaps we yearn to discover at the place of Easter one who will give us courage to cling to hope right now, when the challenges and bad news and suffering exponentially grow. Someone who can assure and console and guide and renew, who will shine a light into this present moment of darkness. Perhaps we yearn for these things and more, but can we expect them? Do we really expect them? Mary Magdalene certainly did not. While it was still dark, the scriptures say, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb grieving, having lost the one person who, according to tradition, had given her her life back in more ways than one. She had journeyed with Jesus, who embodied and who offered a truly different way of life that was marked by love and by liberation, by compassion, and by justice. And then she had witnessed the powers of fear and jealousy and control and greed destroy him. So if Jesus, who was so full of love and life and power and hope, Jesus, so wise and brave and strong. If Jesus, whose intimacy with God had granted him extraordinary life-giving power, if that Jesus couldn't overcome the death-dealing ways of the world, then all hope is gone. Mary Magdalene comes to the garden, I imagine, with this expectation. The bullies will always win. Injustice will remain our daily bread. Death and fear of death will continue to paralyze and terrorize and devour. Mary comes to the garden expecting death, expecting to find the tomb sealed as it had been when she left, because that's the way things are. In that space, when all seemed hopeless, with no expectation for anything but death, Mary alone simply shows up in the garden with her love 
and her faithfulness and her care for Jesus. But things don't meet her expectations that morning. On this morning, Jesus, alive, shows up with his love and faithfulness and care and calls her by name and commissions her to go and to share what's happened. It's just the two of them in this moment. A pretty quiet, simple, intimate encounter. A pretty unexpected Easter. But simple, intimate, unexpected Easter's can change everything. Mary Magdalene had watched the Lord of Life humbly buckle, break, and fall under the weight of the world's brutality and humiliation and injustice. And now she sees the Lord Jesus alive, arise, scarred, but standing. What had been dashed hopes and shattered expectations for her life and for the life of the world around her are raised right along with Jesus. She now knows that even in the midst of the worst the world can do, that God has the power to bring unexpected, unimaginable newness and life. Mary comes to the garden expecting to find the dull familiarity of death and is met by a whole new life, a whole new world, a world in which Christ is alive. And even now, even when we forget, even when we can't believe it, even when we don't expect it, we live in this world where the living Christ wanders through the grocery aisles and the loading docks in the middle of the night, checking on the stalkers and the delivery drivers, breathing encouragement. Where Jesus moves among the frantic field hospitals and the overrun ICUs to touch nurses and doctors and anesthesiologists and other medics with grace. Where Jesus, the living Christ, moves among all those on the front lines of public safety and public care, infusing them with courage into the alleys and the entryways where unhoused folks sleep to cover them with presence and to shield their social workers with protection. Where Christ alive moves into all the places where vulnerability and fear and exhaustion and the weight of responsibility cry out for God at every bedside of those close to death, where a family member is not able to be in this time to dwell. The living Christ shows up, scarred and standing, to proclaim that we are never 
alone, and that not even death gets to have the last word. Of course, we know that the powers and the principalities continue to rage and roar. So how, how can I say we live in this new world? What difference does it make? The powers, the principalities continue to rage and to roar. We know that empires and those seduced by worldly idols regroup and reassert themselves with a vengeance at any sign of a loosening of their stranglehold on comfort and control. They use all the considerable resources at their disposal to lower our expectations, to convince us that we are powerless, that the best we can do is to muddle through and to put up with things as they are. They try to convince us to believe that infighting and manipulation and unnecessary violence and injustice are inevitable. And that Easter is a great excuse for a party, but doesn't really matter in the big picture. They try to convince us that there is no evidence for hope, that expecting the worst is the wisest option. Y'all, I'm choosing to side with Mary Magdalene on this one. I'm going to believe her. Because frankly, all that other garbage is literally no way to live. Lord knows I struggle to really believe that things can be different in this world. I struggle to expect that we will allow this present moment of suffering and all the things that it is revealing to motivate real change in the ways that we live together. But good grief, Jesus has gone to hell to show us the life that is possible. Jesus has walked through the worst to show us the life that is possible for us and for the whole world. And Jesus today meets us in all the simple spaces where we are today with love and with faithfulness and with care and calls us by name and promises that we, like him, can endure the pains of this world and emerge and stand, scarred, but shining. Jesus meets us in all the places we are to raise our expectations for a world that is more gentle and just, and then commissions us to do our part to make it so. By the power of God loving us to life in this present moment, we may, from the relative smallness of our spaces and homes, 
be given a big vision for how things can and should be. By the power of God loving us to life right now, the better angels of our nature can rise up and reassert our common humanity, the dignity and the reciprocity, the justice, the mercy and compassion that our shared vulnerability requires in order for us to survive. In this moment, the power of God loving us to life can not only show us who and what are essential, but also how to reorder values accordingly. God can give us the courage to work with one another instead of against one another, can concretely show us the healing that happens when we walk more gently upon the planet Have you heard the stories of what's happening? Restoration and renewal begins. By the power of God loving us to life, we may learn just how strong we are through this crisis. And we may, we might, we could learn how much stronger we are together. These Easter promises have been the same forever. Though it seems that for a very long time, thousands upon thousands make their familiar annual pilgrimages to the holy places to gather for the grand rites of Easter and then go to their brunches and dinners with no expectation that anything is, can, or should be different. It's almost like what began as a small, intimate, life-changing, world-shaking encounter with the living Christ has been overshadowed by the monuments that we've built around it. If that is the case, then this is the moment of all moments to shake ourselves loose of anything unessential, to clear away anything that keeps our feet from standing directly on the solid rock of Christ, the one through whom and in whom and by whom we are given strength to stand, to serve, scarred but shining sent into the world to raise expectations by the power of God to be able to meet them. May it be so by the power, the resurrection power, the life-renewing power of God's love. Amen. The word alleluia is taken from the Hebrew word hallelujah, means praise the Lord. Preserved by early Christians as a proclamation of praise for all that which God has done and is doing, 
for God's people, it calls us to remember that for which we give thanks and acknowledges all the ways which God is at work in our lives and in the world. At the beginning of our Lenten journey, our children, as Casey reminded us, helped us to bury the Alleluia's, hiding away the elements which normally adorn our sanctuary. And for the most part, we didn't use the word Alleluia in our liturgy. And that was all an invitation to a Lenten season of solemn reflection and quiet contemplation. Today, we are lifting our voices and our praises to God. Our Alleluia's are back and we're grateful. We today invite you, if you are able to find an item that represents your praise, something that you're giving gratitude and thanks to God for today, to get that and bring it to you. Perhaps um, you have something that you've just written hallelujah on, or you want to share with us in the comments something that you're grateful for today, that you're praising God for today. We invite you to get those now. And if you have an object, you can lift it. We're going to pray together. Or you can simply be reflecting on, I've got my bird, we've got bunnies, angels. But look at all, this is so beautiful. I can only imagine. I can't wait to hear what y'all are praising God for today as we lift our alleluias. I invite us now, let us pray. God of power and majesty, with the rising of the sun, you have raised Jesus Christ and delivered him and us from death's destruction. We praise you this day for all your gifts of new life. For the gift of this dispersed community, apart and yet bound together through this shared act of worship and praise, we proclaim, Alleluia. For the loyalty and love of the friends and family who gather in person and in virtual community, we proclaim, Alleluia. And especially for the Alleluias which we lift before you now, we offer you our thanksgiving as we proclaim, Alleluia. Grant that we may, in the strength of our praise, find ourselves resurrected from places of fear, anxiety, doubt, and rage, that in us and through us, your world might come to know the fullness of life you offer us anew this day. Let all the people in the sound of my voice say together, Alleluia! And Amen.